I've been introduced well, thank you very much, the old rolling R. So Nomfundo, you speak about dancing like no one's watching, Shumi spoke about the weird things he does when no one's watching. <laughs> so here's one of the weird things I've done recently, no jokes, being blatantly honest, I walk around at home alone and I try and speak English without a rolling R. <laughs> I promise you, like, I would flip an egg and go, morning, brothers and sisters. Oh, why do you sound so stupid? Good morning, brothers and sisters. Dude, wait, overcooking it. Morning, brothers and sisters. I'm, I'm still getting there. Still getting there. So great with you. Uh, it's so great for me to be with you this morning. Um, like Oney said, I've been a church plant resident now at Rooted Fellowship for the whole of 2018. And I have to tell you, I have had a ball. Friday afternoon, finished up my sermon notes, slides, listened to Man of Sorrows, which is the last song we'll be singing, started bawling, sat there. <laughs> Marie goes, dude, what is it? And I go, I'm not sure if it's the gospel or if it's rooted, but there's just something that I'm so thankful for it, you know, and it might be both, it might be both. Um, I've had a really good time. I'm, uh, God willing, I'll be leaving for the United States on Thursday for a period of three weeks. And I'm currently experiencing what is called anticipated FOMO. Let me tell you what that means. So in psychology, we've got something called anticipated mourning. When you know something sad is going to happen and you will be mourning about it, you start experiencing anticipated mourning. It's like, let me get going on the sadness. As I'm standing here this morning, still being here, I've got anticipated FOMO for my three weeks away because I know that I'll miss this so, so, so much. I've got the privilege of preaching this morning, opening up the scriptures, expounding it, elevating Christ, glorifying Him, and uh, I deem it a huge, huge, huge privilege. We are in a series, 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 series uh, called Desire for desire, desire for the Word of God, and uh, the series is about Psalm 119. So, if you're curious about the structure of Psalm 119, the background of Psalm 119, I won't be going through that this morning, okay? You're welcome to go to SoundCloud, listen to the previous sermons in the series. The very first one, Jono did a great job to unpack it. Uh, I picked up on some of it when I did my uh, reading the Bible is like eating beef stew sermon. Uh, Stephen also shared some of the background and context of 119, so I won't be doing any of that this morning. Let me just say, we are studying a stanza in Psalm 119 every week when we are together. And today we'll be studying the stanza, which has the heading Zion. So Zion is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And the Zion stanza is from verse 49 to 56. And the theme of the sermon that will guide us through this piece of scripture and through our time together this morning is finding comfort in God's word. Finding comfort in God's word. Now let me put this to you. I need comfort. And permit me to say that you need comfort. And permit me to say that we need comfort. And what we'll see today is that comfort is to be found in God's Word. And uh, let me just say as a side note, just a little pop-up window here, it's beautiful to me every time to see how the Holy Spirit works. When Catherine prayed, she prayed some of the words that I was thinking about as I was working through the sermon. When Joy shared, or you know, when Joy was sharing uh, during Sela, I literally thought she was reading from my iPad because she was standing here. Like same words, same desire, same identities. Um, it's brilliant. And when Kirsty prayed at the end of worship, it's like taking words out of my mouth. And we never actually spoke about this is my manuscript. Get with the program. You know what I mean? We only spoke about this is what I feel God's laying on my heart. Go for it. And it's so beautiful. So beautiful. So we'll do three things today, okay? Three things. We'll read the stanza for all it's worth. And what I mean by that is it's a piece of poetry in a poem written by a human being in a specific place and time with a specific message, with specific words and imaginations. We'll read it for all it's worth. Secondly, we are going to think about what this means for us as people who have heard the good news of Jesus coming to earth, 
living the perfect life, dying, being resurrected from the dead, ascending to heaven, sending His Spirit down. We are those people. We've heard the message, and it's good news. So what does this piece of Scripture mean for us? And then thirdly, we will apply it to our everyday lives as followers of Jesus. Come. So read it for what it's worth. Think about what it means for us as gospel people, and then apply it to our lives. Here's my prayer for you. If you are a believer, if you are someone who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and you live according to His will and His life, and He's your King, if you've crossed the line of faith, my prayer for you today is that you will stand in awe of God's Word. I really pray that. And that you would stand in awe especially of the good news that there is to be found in the gospel. If you are not a believer, someone who has not crossed the line of faith, someone who might be sussing out this old Jesus and church vibe, someone who came on invitation, and someone who's thinking about faith and everything that goes with it, I pray this morning, and I'm saying it with a lot of empathy, I pray this morning that you would recognize that you also need comfort. And I pray that you would know that it is not to be found in anything that this world can offer you. But that comfort is to be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible describes Him as the Word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is well with our souls this morning. In the midst of so many things going on in our lives, we need to pause. We need to open up the Scriptures that's been given to us in a language, in a language that we understand. We need to be with our fellow believers we need to submit ourselves in a teaching this morning so that we can be inspired and edified and corrected and rebuked and guided and filled up and um, have perspective and vision. We need to just pause and focus on you, who is the Word. I thank you for this beautiful opportunity that we have to read a stanza out of a beautiful psalm. I thank you for the fact that we can do it in so much freedom and experience so much joy. I realize, Lord God, that there's people on this beautiful globe that you've created who can't even pray with their eyes closed for they will be persecuted. And we can do it for as long as we want, using as many words as we want, crying out to you in song and in prayer and with our brothers and sisters on a beautiful day like today. We deem it a privilege and we thank you for it. May we not miss out on the awesomeness of who you are and of what you have in store for us. So I pray that you would have me preach obediently. Let me teach the full counsel this morning. Let me um, speak truth in love. And I pray that each one of us would open up our hearts and just be receptive to your word. Because you are a good and loving and gracious and all-present and all-knowing Father. Who knows every detail of our lives. And in that we find comfort. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, brothers and sisters, before we read, just a quick preface. Is that how you say it? Do you remember me stumbling over process a few weeks ago? Preface, or a preface. Preface, that's the right way to say it, yeah. In this psalm, the writer uses eight words to describe what he actually means when he says, your word. Okay, look at the heading of the psalm. Your word is a lamp to my feet. So your word is described with eight different words in the psalm, just to help us understand exactly what is meant. Remember that the main interest of this psalm, the main interest of the writer of this psalm, is the Torah, or Torah. Ne? Torah, or Torah, is the collective name for the first five books of the Old Testament, also sometimes referred to as the books of Moses. It's also known as the law. So that's what the psalm is all about. Now to broaden and enrich our understanding of what is to be found in this law, what is to be found in this Torah, or whatever this guy is speaking about, he uses these eight words synonymously. Does that make sense? So he uses them, not in a specific pattern, um, not one connected to the other. He uses it synonymously to say, when I say your word is a lamp to my feet, like this is what I mean. So I just want to show this to you, just to get a grip on the definition of these words. So he uses the word Torah, okay, which is the five books, first five books of the Old Testament. And that is the law. This is what you ought to do. 
This is how you ought to live. Concerning family, this is what you do. Concerning money, this is what you do. Concerning your neighbors, this is what you do. Concerning sacrifices, this is what you do. Concerning food you're supposed to eat, this is what you do. And he uses that word Torah in this psalm 25 times. It's quite a lot, isn't it? He uses the word word or words. The Hebrew word is davar. It's a spoken word. So at times in the psalm, he refers to this is what you said. I mean, how many times have you read in the Old Testament the formula, and then the Lord God said, or uh, the Lord of hosts said, or the Lord of lords said, or the Lord Yahweh God said. Like those are all the Lord Davar, He said. That's His spoken word. He refers to that 24 times in the psalm. He also uses covenant terms, which can best be defined as practical guidelines or like a contract, because a covenant is an agreement, isn't it? Agreement between two parties, saying that the stakes are colossally high, therefore I'll keep my side and this is what I'll do, you'll keep your side and that's what you'll do. If I break my side, this will be the consequences, if you break your side, that'll be the consequences. 23 times he uses the word covenant or terms that is linked to covenant in the psalm. He also uses rulings or statutes or laws, you'll see they count as three words, 22 times. Now, statutes is guiding words. It's thou shalt not. No, sorry, that's commands. Apologies. That's like the Ten Commandments. It's like broad guidelines for you to move in or to live according to. There's also commands mentioned 21 times, and that is the Lord your God said. Colon, and then the words. 21 times there's references to that. And then there's also sayings or charges. That is when it, the Bible says, the Lord says, or I put it to you. But that's like in our vernacular, okay? Used 20 times. So when the writer of this psalm uses the word, your word, it includes all of that. It's quite a lot, isn't it? And I'm showing it to you so that we know what the writer has in mind when he uses these words, and I want you to see that he, he calls on it, he remembers it, he describes it, he believes in it, and he speaks about it as life-changing and transformative, like that whole list of stuff. You'll see it jump right off the page as we read the stanza now. So remember we are working with the theme, finding comfort in God's word. Let's read the whole stanza, one shot, top to bottom. I put it on the screen for you. And uh, you'll see, let me just say that before we read, because you might be wondering. So um, the blue words are all words that has got something to do with these eight words used synonymously. Word, promise, law, rules, law, statutes, law, precepts. Sounds like spoken word. The amber, it's not yellow, it's amber is words that are linked to comfort. And then the red all speaks about crisis, or challenges, or experiences that the psalm writer has had. Okay, let's go for it. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent Utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me, that I have kept your precepts. This is the word of God for us this morning. Let me just explain a few of them. Utterly deride means rude people or arrogant people, those are the insolent, or people who have a lack of respect. They ridicule me without mercy. That's a harsh experience. But... Even though they ridicule me without mercy, I do not turn away from your law. Verse 53, hot indignation seizes me. I don't know about you, but I don't really speak like this. Uh, translated into a more viable vernacular is just, I am beside myself with anger. 
I am beside myself with anger when I see the wicked who forsake your law. People who do not care about you. People who do not do what you said that we ought to do. It ticks me off. Is that, is, is that okay word in this context? Yes? All right. It also says, in the house of my sojourning, so I marked sojourning red. I think if you Google sojourning, you'll have pictures of the Eiffel Tower and people at waterfalls in Peru and that kind of stuff, sojourners. In this context, that's not what it means, okay? In this context, sojourning means liminal. Not where I was, not quite where I want to be. Kind of this middle space. I feel like a pilgrim. I know home is there. I come from there. And I'm like sojourning. That's what the psalmist means. And he says while he's sojourning, while he has this experience, while he has this experience of being neither here nor there, he sings songs about the guidelines that God has given him. Because he knows in this middle space, getting from here to there, there's something that I ought to do and I know what it is. It's been given to me. I shall follow that. Just a side note, I think a liminal experience or feeling like sojourners is a very applicable to our context. I think the age of our community, the seasons where we are, if I think about what we pray for, people hop jobs, people get kids, um, people lose jobs, um, people move away, people come back, and then they move away again, and then we cry again. I mean, sojourning, it's kind of a vibe, ne? And what's cool to me is sojourning in this psalm is a red word, but there's blue and yellow to be found in the red. Saying that even though I'm not where I was, and I'm definitely not where I want to be, when I'm here, I, I sing because I know what I ought to do. And then the last word that's weird in this psalm is verse 56, this blessing has fallen to me. I think if I would translate the psalm, I would translate that as, I can face all of this that I've just mentioned, because I know what to do. That's kind of what verse 56 means. I can face all of this, all these red words, because I know what to do. So that's the Zion stanza. So the poet, I would say, says three things. Firstly, I have endured suffering. I have. Doesn't question it. Also doesn't say why it happened. The only thing he says is all of these red stuff has happened to me. I felt afflicted. I've been ridiculed without mercy. I've been beside myself with anger. I have felt like a sojourner uh, wanting and longing for something or some place called home, but not quite there yet. I felt all of this. So that's what he says. And I think that's an important remark to make as we read this and as we hear his voice. But what he says then is I have enjoyed comfort in the midst of... Of these things. Why? Because of all the blue stuff. I felt hope. I felt comfort. I felt life. I felt comfort again. I've been singing. I've been remembering. I've counted all of this a blessing. Why? Because of your word. Because of the things you've said. Because of the guidelines you've given me. Because of the rules you've given me to live by. Because of the promises you've given me. That has helped me in these red spots. To take hope. And to take Comfort. Those are the things that I filled my mind with, that I filled my mouth with, that I filled my heart with. And then he says a third thing. It's not that explicit, but I think I can say that with integrity. He says in the psalm, I have had to remember these things. Like I've had to go back and think about it again. And when I thought about it, I've also had to trust it. Does that make sense? I can't only like think of the word, but when I think of the word and what it says and what it means to me, I have to say, okay, I'll believe it. I'll cling onto it. I'll hang onto it. I'll sing about it. I'll either remember it or say it or confess it. And I will also be obedient to it. Look at verse 51 again. While the arrogant um, mock me without mercy, they utterly deride me, I do not turn away from your law. That doesn't mean that he gets it all all right the whole time. Does that make sense? The psalmist isn't saying, listen dudes, I never do sin or I've got the law nailed down. But what he says is, in these circumstances, when I remember the promises, the words that he's spoken and everything that has been given to me, when I do remember that, 
I obey it. And I stick to it. I am willing to accept the implications thereof. And it brings me great comfort in the midst of suffering. Okay. Now, I believe this to be God's word. I do. I also believe that we can find comfort in the stanza of the psalm exactly the same way the writer did. I do. I also believe, though, that there's an even greater comfort in God's word for us, followers of Jesus. Okay? We know the story of the New Testament. We know, we have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. We have heard of His saving grace. We know that He is the Messiah that was promised by the Old Testament. We know that He was the suffering servant promised by the prophets. We know that He fulfilled the things of the Old Testament. We know that He fulfilled these very things that this writer finds comfort in. We know that the New Testament calls Him the Word. So let me explain why I say this. The writer of this psalm has to hold together all the meanings of these synonyms. I think I put in another slide with the synonyms. If you can just flip to that one for me, please. He has to hold together like all of these synonyms and their meanings when thinking about the Word of God. That is quite a lot to hold. Let me just remind you. It started with Ten Commandments. It was later developed into 603 more laws and rules and commandments. It's like 613 rules. You have to think about the whole time. Later, because of the loopholes in those rules, there was another almost a thousand rules developed by the time that Jesus lived on earth. 1,613 more or less things that you have to keep in mind the whole time when you think about His Word. That is a lot. We, on the other hand, have a very clear revelation of what all of this means. Because we have seen and experienced and know the person of Jesus Christ. We have accounts in the Bible called the Gospel, describing His life and His teachings to us, helping us to understand what all of this 10 plus 603 plus 1000 or all of these words mean altogether. Let me show you a few examples. So the first one, Matthew 5, verse 17 to 20. Now, I can't give you context for all of these scripture readings, but I have to show you the privilege that we have as followers of Jesus in the Word and how we can find comfort in it. So here we go. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Okay, so law or prophets is like shorthand for saying the Old Testament in the New Testament. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a yota, that's a Greek alphabet letter, not a dot, that's a punctuation letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do, so, uh, to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's what Jesus says. Doing these things that you know you ought to do is still very important. But I will accomplish what they could not. Listen closely. The law was supposed to help people be right with God. And it could not do that. Now Jesus says, it's still important that you do those things, but the degree to which you hold to them does not determine if you are in right standing with God. And check what he says. Just to make it even more important, he says, I want you or your righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Who are they? They are the people who figured out the other thousand on top of the 613 there was already. So Jesus says, they think they have it all together. I want you to be better at keeping them than they. But I shall fulfill what the law was supposed to do. And that is, reconcile you with God, make you right with God. We know that. We know it. As Christians in 2018, we know how to be right with God. And not only do we know that, 
we also know what this law means. Let me show you a second piece of scripture. Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. Jesus speaking, can't give you context, but it's a person asking Jesus a question. Verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Like, tell me what you think. It was a polarizing question in those times. It was a hot question. It was like asking, what do you think about the expropriation of land without compensation? Because there was like huge debate around what is the greatest. Now Jesus goes and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Quoting Deuteronomy. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Pulling in Leviticus into Deuteronomy. And now Jesus says, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Saying, the whole purpose of the Old Testament, the purpose of the Torah, the purpose of everything you used to know as the law, the purpose of the very stuff that the psalm writer found comfort in is loving God and loving others as yourself. Let me make it plain. Forget the 10, forget the 603, forget the almost 1,000. Let me give you just two things. And let me elevate them and say that they are exactly the same. You cannot separate them from one another. Love the Lord your God, love other people as you do yourself. On those, the whole law and the prophets will stand. You and I know this. It's been written to us. It's been preached to us. We've heard it so many times. We know what the law is all about. And it is clear, crystal clear. And unbelievably liberating. Think about it, brothers and sisters. At any moment of any given day, there's only one question. Am I loving God now? And am I loving others like I love myself? It's really not that difficult. It cannot ask that you have a university degree. And that was the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees. Because they could read, and they could write, and they could speak fancy, schmancy, eloquent words. And then the people farming the land, see what I just did there? The people farming the land said, I, I, I literally do not understand what they're saying. And I can't read. Did you know that only 2% of people in the New Testament could read? 2%. And they were called the scribes. 2%. And the rest of the people went, well, I, I think I kind of just have to walk up to the temple, sing the song, buy the dove, burn the dove, leave again, and next week repeat the same. That's why Jesus said, let me make it clear to you. Okay, I know. I'll do these two things. Where do I start? Let me show you another piece of scripture. Gifted to us as New Testament believers. Matthew 11, verse 25 to 30. At the time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. I think in Jesus' time, when he prayed, people had respect. But I think when he prayed this prayer, people went, oh, snap! Because he prays this in the presence of the wise and understanding of those times. And he prays this prayer in the presence of everyone else saying, It feels to me like I cannot please Yahweh. I cannot please the God of the Old Testament. I'm an Israelite. I'm a Jew. I'm circumcised. I know the Psalms of my heart. I, and when I wake up in the morning, I say, That's Psalm 1 in Hebrew. But I, for some reason... I just don't feel the joy because I'm always at odds with this God. There's always one more thing that I have to do to please Him. Now Jesus prays and He says, I've got these two groups in front of me and I thank you, Father, for hiding it from the clever ones and making it plain to children. Because, Father, it was your gracious will. That's how He wanted it. All the things have been handed over to me by my Father. So that's the time where the pious scribes and Pharisees would maybe hold hands in prayer and then open their eyes and go, oh, snap, he's now saying who he really is. Because this is Jesus, like, asserting his authority in this prayer. He says, all the things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the fa Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. 
Do you guys understand this? We have been chosen for God to be revealed to us through His Son. I don't know about you, that's brilliant. Like I had a lot of dreams and aspirations for my life. Never thought about this, but the day it happened, I went, yes, this is everything. Like anything else cannot compare to knowing God. Now Jesus says, I will choose to who I reveal my Father, and you to who I reveal my Father will know Him. And then He says, here's where you start. Listen. Not 10 plus 603 plus 1,000. Come to me. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Just the compassion of Jesus in those moments. All of these people, I mean, think about it, guys. It's families. It's husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, grandmas, grandpas. Some of them have got kids. Some of them have got a family trade. Some of them have got a little piece of land that they farm on. They want to know this God. And Jesus says, I'll show him to you. Come to me. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, a human being. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I won't drive you like a droll sergeant. I'm not going to tell you, drop down and give me 20. I'm gentle. I'll make it plain for you. I'll tell you stories. I'll sit in a boat with you. I'll walk the beach with you. I'll have food with you. I mean, that's the way Jesus interacted with people. And you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For the psalm writer, God is abstract. Because he's the God of his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. For us, God isn't abstract. Because he, was, he became a human being. And the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He dwelt among us. There was disciples, people who saw Him, who saw what His kingdom looks like, who saw His saving grace, who said God is not holding out on us. Have you ever thought that? That maybe God's Word's not true? Joy alluded to something like that in Selah, that God might have left without saying we know that that's not true. We know that He's not holding out on us because He gave salvation to every single person who would believe. We don't have to guess if He's going to come back and judge because He's done one massive thing that He's promised already. And that was to work salvation. He's given His Spirit to us. Do you guys know that in Corinthians, Paul uses the word deposit for the Holy Spirit? He says the Holy Spirit is like God's deposit saying, boom, there you go. I'll be with you in this form now and I promise I will come back. There's my first down payment. Isn't it great? We don't have to guess. Now, of course, there's always more to be known to God. Let me be clear on that. I'm not saying that I've got it all figured out. I dream of maybe becoming 95 or something and still going, oh, the psalm is an absolute ripper. Maybe at that time I'll be able to say ripper without a rolling R. Who knows? Who knows? But I mean, I, I, we study his life. We look at him and, and we imitate him. We imitate the life of Jesus. Okay. Is it possible to do this? Do you guys think it's possible? Is it possible to imitate the life of Jesus? Let me share some good news with you. Jesus' own words. John 14, verse 15. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So that is just picking up on Matthew 5. Do you see that? I still want you to keep my commandments. Now, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Okay, but wait. Picking up on Matthew 22, it's really easy. Love God, love other people as yourself. Got that? Okay, cool. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Can we imitate the life of Jesus? Yes, we can. And not in an Obama way, but in a Holy Spirit way. We can. Why? Because the Helper has been given to us. You and I have God's Spirit dwelling in us. Helping us to understand that we're not orphans. Helping us to know that His words are true. 
And we have it, and the world doesn't. I went to Afrikaans school, so athletics was huge. And athletics, we would have a song, we've got the spirit, yes, we do. We've got the spirit, how about you? Yes, 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 we do. We've got the spirit, how about you? No, 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 you don't. It was like this whole chant. We can actually chant that to the world. We've got the spirit, yes, we do. We've got the spirit, how about you? No, 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 you don't. Because the Bible says to us that they don't. But we do. Isn't that great? That's what kills me when I get motivational videos or memes, gold cost. And the guy, usually wearing military uniform, says, In those circumstances, the only thing that you have to do is dig deeper. Believe in yourself. Set your dreams and you'll get there. And then students go, <laughs> And I go, dude, 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 dude. Not true for Christians. We don't have to just dig deeper. We can rely on God's Spirit. The biggest lie we believe is, I am going to try harder and then I'm going to succeed. We don't need to. Think about it. Believe it. Whenever I'm entangled in sin, when I'm not doing loving God or loving other people, I don't have to get up, man up, and try harder. I can just rely on the helper inside of me. Verse 26, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And here's the kicker. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it, do I, uh, so, sorry, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. And let not, oh, sorry, and neither let them be afraid. Guys, if we read God's word and we find comfort in them, it's because in Jesus we know what they mean. We know that they are true. Because we know that the God of the covenant has renewed his covenant with his people. He has showed his love by dying on the cross for us. He is faithful because he made right what he said he was going to. And he can be trusted. Isn't that just fantastic news? Way better than the psalmist could ever have had it. Not thinking about technicalities and lists and lists of rules. Looking to Jesus. <coughs> Jesus. And finding in him the meaning of all those things. Let me show you a picture. I literally just chose this picture because I found it on my iPad. And uh, I think we have a cool projector, so it might project nicely. A picture of the same piece of land at different times of day. A fuller picture. Does that make sense? So when we look at the Word, that's what we see. We don't only see one sliver there are parts that are still dark-ish. We know what's coming. Not quite sure exactly when or how it's going to happen, but we know it's coming. But we see a fuller picture as confessing Christians. Let me show you another one. We have a, a, a dual vision or a, a double vision. Like seeing clearly. I actually just chose this for Kyle Lloyd, and now I see that he's not here this morning. He, uh, he's great and loves creation and loves the sea. Okay, now. We see clearly the things that are before us. We do. We see it crystal clear. But we also see what lies ahead. And we always have this, this double vision. Paul speaks of it in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we look at what we have now, salvation, and we also look at what is coming to us. Let's talk about needing and finding comfort. And I'll land the plane here for us. We live in times where there are weapons. Weapons of mass distraction. See what I did there? Weapons of mass distraction. Friends, these things will have you believe that there's always someone who has it better than you do. 
These things will have you believe that the end is near. These things will have you believe that churches cannot be trusted and Christian leaders are without integrity. These things will have you believe that our country cannot live in peace together and that we are at the brink of some sort of war. These things will have you believe that you'll never have enough money because we're sliding again in recessions and downgrades and 22 rand a liter of diesel and what have you. These things distract us from the truth that we know in Jesus Christ. These things will tell us that we have to fight for ourselves. You don't have to. These things will tell us that we can save ourselves. These things will tell us that things are not going to get better. These things bring bad news. We, if you work in journalism and you use these things, cool. But these things do not elevate the good news we know that I just read to you and expounded to you from the Scriptures. These things are distracting us from the comfort to be found in Jesus Christ. And the reason why I'm saying this is the following. I know that some of us are struggling, guys. I know it. I know that some of us struggle in our relationships. Family, spouse, kids, work, whatever relationships it is. I know some of us struggle in this. I know that some of us feel tired to the point of falling over. Do you remember that beautiful Greek word I shared in the James series? When he says, if you feel tired to the point of falling over, pray. I know some of us feel like this. I know for some of us, every day feels like a hustle. It feels like a grind. It feels like not 120, but like 180 pedal to the metal. These things will not help you. It'll make you anxious. It'll make you disenfranchised. It'll make you unthankful. So if you feel like that, comfort is not to be found there. Never. Comfort is to be found at our Lord Jesus Christ. Two pieces of scripture and I'll land us. Matthew 6, 31 to 34. Therefore, do not be anxious. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the people who don't know anything about me, they seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Isn't that just great? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Making it plain, making it clear, making it simple. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Personal. Let me paint you a picture. Nyla read this during Selah last week. And um, it's a piece of scripture that really touches my heart. Because I see pictures of kids dying in pit toilets. Pictures of kids having to drink mud out of a puddle. Pictures of people running away during civil war with babies in their arms full of blood and dirt and debris of war. You hear stories of people killing each other. Of people violating each other. Of people abusing this beautiful creation that's been given to us. See these millions of people every day that run for comfort in different places. And then I read this piece of scripture and it touches me. Then I saw... And this is how it will end. A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. And the sea, the place where evil lives, was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her, <coughs> for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He's always wanted to be with us. And he will be with us in the end. We, he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers, the one who endures, the one who perseveres will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Don't you guys think in the times that we live in that these two pieces of scripture is just some of the best comfort there is to be found? And that we don't have to fix it. He will. And he makes all things new. Quick illustration. So we have a daughter called Ava. She's three years old and she's awesome. Sometimes she would run to me and go, Papa, 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 Papa. And then she would like literally bump into my legs and go, Papa, Papa, yay, Papa, yay, moet my optel. That means, Papa, please pick me up. And then I would leave whatever I'm busy with, usually like cutting chicken or washing something. And I go, and then I bend down to her. And then I say to her, Bok, wat bla. That means little dear. <laughs> What's wrong? And then she would say to me, Papa, I will by you wees that I want to be with you. And then I would say, You're so welcome. What's bothering? And then she would say, The bees. Three, hashtag three-year-old problems. No bees, but it is bothering her. And what I like about that moment is that's when I say to her, Boki, listen, good news. No bees. No bees. Come and let me hold you. And it's done. And she's sorted. In that same way, we run to God when we need comfort. And it's because of His love and His grace and His faithfulness that we can run to. So just a disclaimer, I don't always get that right. Sometimes I say to a book, please, I really just want to finish what I'm busy with. And then I go, oh, snap. <laughs> can I just imagine what it would have been like if God handled me that way? God, please, pick me up. And He goes, dude, I just want to end famine in India first <laughs> before I tend to your, uh, before I tend to your prayer request. You know what I mean? Luckily, he's not like that. So even though I do fail as an earthly father, and I don't always leave everything I'm busy with, he does. And it's because of his grace and his faithfulness that we can run to him. And that's also when he bends down to us and he says to us, listen, I have not left you. I still care for you. I still love you. And I am still with you. And I'll hold you. And I'll keep you safe. And I'll be with you until this beautiful picture we just read actually comes to fruition. If we are discouraged, depressed, struggling to forgive, having tough times, doubting, whatever it is, come. Because comfort is to be found in God's word. Lowercase. And comfort is to be found in God's word. Capital letter. Jesus Christ. Let's believe this. Let's believe this. Let's believe and appreciate the good news. For how marvelous and how transformative it is. Let's run to Jesus. And find the comfort. That the writer of Psalm 119 speaks of. Because it's there for the taking. By God's grace. Let's desire God's word. I want to give us a time of silence now. And I want you to think about what you need to papa, 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 papa about. Like, what's the bees' knees in your life? No, I'm joking. I actually I didn't joke. I thought that was quite good. <laughs> like, what's the bees, man? What's bothering you? 
What's making you anxious? What are the things that you're currently running from? And just cry out to God. Just go, Papa, 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 pick me up, pick me up, pick me up. I need to be with you, and I need to hear the truth. God, your word is so many things to us this morning, in this time, in this place. It is a lamp to our feet, but it's also ointment for our hurts. It's hugs for our sadness. It's water to us who thirst. It's truth that sets us free, that liberates us. It's truth that settles us in our identity as your children. And we stand in awe of it. We stand in awe of your grace. We stand in awe of your love. We think about what you have done and what you have accomplished. We think about all the ways that you have fulfilled these sacred scriptures. And we count ourselves privileged to know it. We are so thankful that you chose to reveal the Father to us. We just want to bath in all of this truth this morning. We just want to marinate in it. We just want to be with you. And like Ava cries out, Dad, I just, I just want to be with you. We, we want to be with you. We want to abide in you. We want to stay. We want to linger. We want to love you with everything that we have. We want to sit with our heads against your chest. Hear your heartbeat for us. We need comfort. You know what's going on in each of our hearts. We lay it all down before you. We look at the gospel story. We think about the salvation that you gave to us. And we think about those marvelous words in Revelation. It is finished. May we find comfort in that. In our affliction, when the insolent deride us, when we feel like sojourners, when we get angry, when we experience affliction, may we be comforted this morning. We pray that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.